Let us continue to worship with the reading from Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from those stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as you greet somebody and say, Hello. Don't worry, Gary's in the mentor program, and I'm going I'm to teach him to be nicer to women. <laughs> Okie dokie. Let's do church, y'all. Uh, good morning. I'm Chris. Uh, super glad you're at church today. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, if we've not met, I'd love to meet you before you leave. Uh, today, I want to deal with a topic that I think is maybe misunderstood, uh, certainly by our culture, um, and probably even inside the church. I think it's misunderstood in theory. I think it's also misunderstood in practice. Uh, so even if you have a biblical idea of what this is, this word is, theoretically you understand the idea of repentance or whatever, uh, most people are actually really horrible at doing it and honestly try to avoid it at all cost, right? Uh, this, it's repentance, what we're talking about. Now, I've, I've chosen the same slide design as we did last week. Last week was an invitation into anyone? Hey, good. Um, I need you to see a connection between the invitation into joy and the invitation to repent. There is a connection biblically here. Um, It's not super intuitive, uh, but for every human before God, the door into joy is actually the door of repentance. Um, Acts 3 says, repent so that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord, which maybe explains why for many people, many Christians, God's presence is not very refreshing, right? The door to joy is the door of repentance. It's the same door. And that door is oftentimes repulsive to us. The door to joy, I think sometimes we think is repulsive because it's actually the door of repentance. Repent, right? What kind of antiquated religion is this? I thought this was like a whole cool hip church, you know? Uh, Sorry to disappoint you. Turns out uh, tons of Christians would rather live a joyless experience, a joyless existence, rather than go through the door of repentance. Uh, The only real door into joy is the door of repentance, and it is often repulsive and offensive to us. It's also a very small door. It's a small door into joy. So small, in fact, that none of your books of learning None of your talents and skills and strengths, none of your deeds of moral excellence can go through it. None of your achievements, past or present, all that stuff's too big to go through the door of repentance. You and you alone can fit through that door. You can't have any protective layers on you. You've got to be totally naked 
Not naked. Naked. Like Adam and Eve. You got to go back to the garden to repent. You got to be completely vulnerable and exposed before God. The kind of vulnerability required for repentance is honestly one that makes us unnervingly exposed. And it's why we don't do it before God, and it's why we don't do it before others. So why do it? (laughs) What's the process of going back to the garden, back to naked and unashamed with God? What is it? It's called repentance. So let's talk about what is repentance. Well, obviously it's crying, right? What do you think of when I say the word repent? Wait, wait, let me try it again. Repent! Should I say it that way? All you sinners, <laughs> repent. What do you think of when you think of repent? Do you think of hellfire sermons? Do you think of sinners in the hand of an angry God? Do you think of God fuming on his throne, raged at you? He's angry at you. He's up there, right? Shaking his finger at you. Is that what you think of when I say the word repent? Do you think of crying when I say repent? Do you think of weeping and wailing and, you know, if you don't cry when you say you're sorry, well, you're not sorry. Get more sorry, right? If you see someone crying at church, do you immediately know, oh, they're repenting. (laughs) Those guys must be really bad sinners. You know, I bet I know what they're repenting of. Is that repentance? Is it a feeling? Is that how you repent? Do, Do you repent? By mustering an emotion that you don't feel? Some of you think that's repentance because your mom said, say it like you mean it. Sorry. No, you're not. Cry. Listen, if I had to cry every time I repented of my selfishness before my family, I would cry all day long. I'm a selfish jerk. I would just have to cry all day long. Gary, are you with me? I would just be crying. Turns out I'm a selfish jerk. If you don't think you are, have kids. All right? Do you think that repentance is groveling? You know groveling? Groveling. You know, walking around depressed all the time because you know your sin's really bad. And you aren't some mediocre Christian, you know, so you, you repent really seriously, you know? You, and you can't just grovel. Like, you got to be in real discomfort. Yeah, everyone else has to know that you're in pain, over your sin, because you're, you're not a mediocre Christian, right? You're serious, right? And now, of course, it's just emotional pain, like you're not some sadistic person who's going to whip yourself, but you're going to walk around for days with your head down, days, right? Pity party for one, all day long. You guys ever seen um, Winnie the Pooh? Remember Eeyore? That's what some of you think of when I say the word repent. You think of walking around saying, thanks for noticing me. Right? You isolate yourself. You stop hanging out. You withdraw because you are so dirty. Right? And that's what you think spirituality looks like. Look at me. None of those things are repentance. None of those things are repentance. All right? If you think that's what real spirituality looks like, just stinks for you, man. What a, what a, ugh. I mean, not, not into it. Don't want to be a Christian then, if that's what it means. All right? Like, look at me. When you throw pity parties 
You know, when you're, all you're really doing, if, you're, if that's how you repent to your like, spouse or your friend, you throw a pity party, you know all you're doing is just you're despairing under the weight of your sin and you're saying that my sin's bigger than God? You're, you're, you're acting as if God is as, just as helpless under your sin as you are, which is actually a form of pride. It's an inferior pride. You know there's inferior pride and there's superior pride? Inferior pride is saying my sin's greater than the grace of God. That's a form of pride. Superior pride is saying, I don't need grace. That's superiority, right? We're used to that kind. Both inflate the self. Both are making a bigger deal of you than you ought to make. You understand what I'm saying? None of that's repentance, according to the Bible. Most of that stuff is symbolic. You know what that word means? (laughs) It's this outer sign of what's supposed to be happening on the inside. Can you be symbolic without substance? (laughs) Yes, you most certainly can. Most of those things are symbolic when it comes to repentance. Dude, that stuff's earthly sorrow, dude. Leads to death. It'll lead to death between you and God, and it'll lead to death between you and your relationships. All right? If if what we think it looks like is is that, we begin to posture ourselves in front of others when we know we ought to feel guilty, or when your wife tells you you ought to feel guilty. (laughs) Guys hardly ever know what they've done. They have to be told. And then they just get really good at pretending to be sorry. And it's a facade repentance, you see? It's faux repentance. It's symbolic. You're just doing the external thing because that's the thing that you think you have to do to work stuff out. It's posturing. You're trying to prove something to yourself maybe and to others and to God. It proves nothing to God. And most of the time, people see right through symbolic gestures, especially when there's no real evidence of repentance. There's symbolic repentance, and there's evidence of repentance, which we have to come back to. Biblically, fasting is a symbol of repentance. You know that? In the Bible, people fasted as a symbol of repentance. And Jesus said, even when you fast, don't look gloomy. Anoint your head. Wash your face, sister. Quit posturing for others. That's not repentance. There's symbolic gestures of repentance, then there's evidence of repentance. But what really is repentance then? Well, whatever it is, it's apparently really, really important in the Bible. It was the first importance to Jesus' message. First words out of Jesus' mouth when he starts his ministry is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's that mean? Well, according to Jesus, repentance will be the genesis of your life with God. According to Jesus, repentance will be the genesis of your life with God. If you've not done that, you don't have a walk with God. The journey of your life with God does not start with praise or warm fuzzies or some amazing worship concert. I don't know about you, but in my head, what just happened was amazing. I broke a nail during worship. I don't know if you were trying hard enough, you didn't break a nail. All right. Your your walk with God doesn't start with that. Your walk with God does not start with a really good sermon or finding a great church. It starts with repentance. Y'all, participation with church is not the same thing as participation with God. And if you've confused those things, you have a very impotent relationship with God. Repentance is the first and only appropriate response to a holy, loving God. It's the first necessary thing on our end to reconstitute the relationship with God, to repair the relationship. So what is it? What is it? Let's look at the New Testament word for repentance. You know what they used? Uh, New Testament's not written in English. It's written in Greek. And the Greek word in Matthew 3, 2, when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven at hand, is at hand, is metaneao. No, wait, try it again. Metanaeo. There it is. 
Now, now that I've cleared that up, let's pray. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, now, if you've gone to this church, um, you probably remember this. We've talked about this often. Turns out we need to repent a lot around here. Um, it's actually, thought I would get a laugh on that one. No one laughed. No one thought that was funny. You need to repent all the time, dude. Get over it, all right? So uh, metanoia, metanoeo, is two Greek words smushed together, all right? The first word is meta. Uh, it means afterwards or subsequent or behind. Lord, help us. Meta, the Facebook company, right? wants to be in control of the metaverse. What is that? Well, that's the universe that's beyond the physical. It's not physical, it's digital. It's beyond physical. Today, the study of metaphysics is the study of what? The study of things that lie beyond the physical, you see? After the physical. Is there anything out there that's non-physical? I don't know, let's study it. It's called metaphysical, metaphysics. <laughs> or um, a meta-narrative. What's a meta-narrative? It's the story behind the story. You see, it's the story that's outside of the story. It's after the story is told, you sit back and you say, huh, you know, that whole thing is really about this. It's the story after the story. It's the afterthought. That's a meta-narrative. Okay, there's meta. The next word, naeo, means to understand, to consider, to perceive, to conceive. Nope. No, that's right. You can conceive a baby, and you can conceive a thought, right? <laughs> it means, what does it mean? What are, what are, is that right? I got that right? Okay. Uh, English translators, what are they, what are they trying, they are going to translate this word repentance. What does the word actually mean? The word literally means to think after you thought. It's an afterthought. It means to think about your thinking. You thought a certain way. And then afterward, you said, you know, I'm thinking again about that. You do this all the time. And you're hanging out with your friends, and you're telling them your tale of woe, you know? And she said this, and then this happened, and blah, blah, blah. And they listen to you patiently. And then someone says, well, you know, um, you might consider maybe her perspective. And maybe she did ABC because she felt this way. And have you thought about that? And you're offended, and you're like, well, no. Hadn't thought about that. You know, and then you say, you think about it some more, and you're like, well, yeah, actually, that, that makes a lot of sense. I could see why she would do that if she feels that way. Um, you know, I think you're right. You know, you just, you just repented. You just had a new perspective on a scenario, a totally new way of thinking about it, right? And maybe the next day you approach that situation, and you're radically thinking differently about it because you have this totally new perspective about what, what was happening, right? You have more compassion maybe the next day or your understanding. Dude, you just repented. That's a New Testament word for what it means to repent. Was there any emotional altar call? Was there any dark room with soft music playing? Was there some up dude with a stage ranting on about repent because you're a sinner? No. Was there tears? No. You know what it looked like? <laughs> That's what it looked like. You were thinking about your thinking. Right? It was almost absent of all of the symbols that we think of as repentance, but it was repentance because the next day you acted differently. So when the New Testament writer says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, he's saying, think about your thinking. You're thinking all wrong about life and God and yourself and how he's revealed himself. And what does the Bible actually say? Think about the way you're thinking. That's what he means. That's what he's calling you to. And sometimes, y'all, it takes a massive jar 
to the fibers of our life for us to get outside of the ingrained way that we think about things. Divorce, a death scare, a loss of job. And for some people, no matter how much pain they experience, no matter how much pain they undergo, they will not think about the way they're thinking about life. They won't. They won't repent. They can't. In many ways, it's what the Bible means when it describes people who have hearts of stone. You have a heart that can't change, a heart that can't reason and, and, and come to a different conclusion. You know the thing about stone is it can't change without being shattered. The only way some of you will ever repent is if your life falls to utter pieces. And it takes that for you to start thinking about your thinking because your heart's not malleable. Clay can form. Clay can take a hit. Stone hearts can't. And so they won't repent until their life falls to pieces. And some of us, I wonder today, are on the course of our life falling to pieces because we cannot think about the way we're thinking about how we're talking to our wife. We can't think about the way that we think about our relationships. We can't get outside of it. We're stuck inside of our thinking. And in many ways, repentance is a supernatural invitation that God has to bring to your door for you to be able to dislodge from the ingrained habits with which we engage with one another. Are we talking for some of us, our lives have to be shattered. They refuse to think about their thinking primarily because of a deep unwillingness to admit that we are wrong. And this position is summed up by Jesus. In this parable, he tells about a rich man and Lazarus. And he says, uh, no, he said, what the, the um, Lazarus, no, no, the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, I won't say the whole thing, go read it. He says, but if someone goes from the dead, they'll repent. And he says, no. Even if someone shatters their whole worldview and rises from the dead, they will not think about their thinking. Right? So that's repentance in some ways. It's thinking about the way you think, getting outside of your own little narrow perspective, of your own echo chamber. <laughs> that is social media. So, <laughs> did that one get you there? <laughs> What's the goal of repentance? And yes, I am always this edgy. What's the goal of repentance? <laughs> well, in the Bible and in life, the goal is never merely moral perfection. We do not repent to simply clean ourselves up. That's not why you repent. Sure, you may repent from lust because it's dirty and gross and you don't want to be that guy. You may repent from gossip because you know her. You might repent of anger because I'm, I'm a better dad than that. That's not real repentance. That's about you. It may be a form of repentance, but it's a self-centered version of repentance. Repentance in the Bible is about one thing, restoring a relationship. Always. You repent because you want to restore a relationship. Therefore, the motivation of repentance is not moral uprightness. It's relational harmony. It's peace. It's favor. It's favor, y'all. It's favor in the relationship. You're in good graces again. The tension and the this thing that was obstructing the relationship has been dealt with. The relationship's no longer... You hate it. The, it's uncomfortable because the, the relationship, there's something in the middle. And when you hate that, you repent. You repent because you hate the tension and the dissonance and the obstruction, right? You know what dissonance is? It's the difference between dissonance and harmony. It's two notes I was going to show you, but I don't want to waste the time. It's two notes right together, and it goes like... Wah, 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 wah. It's horrible. Some people, it's like... It's like Fingers on a chalkboard. There's dissonance in the relationship. And you don't want that anymore. And when your heart, when your heart is grieved, 
then there's dissonance. You repent because you want harmony. Dude, do you want your relationships to sing? Do you want to be in harmony with God in life and relationships? The only way we can do it sometimes is by repentance. There's dissonance, and the only way you'll do it is if you're uncomfortable in that. Some of us are comfortable with dissonance. You know, we play this ridiculous game. I could do this all day. Let's see who repents first, right? You've done it. I know you've done it, right? Because you're just like me. And from time to time, you're a fool. And we play this game. It's like a game of chicken. She's going to repent before me. She'll own it before me. I'm okay with this discomfort. I could do this all day long, right? It's immaturity. And we have areas to grow, don't we? When you, you repent because you hate the discomfort. You hate the dissonance. It grieves your heart. Therefore, if restoration of the relationship is not your goal, then you're, you don't, you're not going to repent. You don't want to repent. That's the goal of repentance. Relational harmony, not moral uprightness. And it's not just practical. Maybe you live with them, and you don't want to be uncomfortable anymore, so maybe you just do some symbolic gestures of repentance, because, but you're really not interested in restoring the relationship. That's not repentance. You're just being practical. You're just trying to figure out how to live with them without ever dealing with your stuff. And so you do symbolic repentance. You see? True repentance is always about restoring a relationship. And we would be naive not to think there are plenty of elbows going on right now. And this, all right, it's about restoring a relationship. You want the relationship to sing. You want harmony, not dissonance, which means you never repent as an isolated internal thing only. That's not repentance. You repent to someone. So the way we do communion at this church is a bit misleading. We get up and we, I pray the prayer and, and I say, hey, receive the peace of God. And we think, done. It is very rare in which, your, in which your sins against God are not also sins against someone else. And what we do on Sunday mornings is oftentimes the first step that you have to take to restore relationships. You're not done yet sometimes after communion. In fact, I'd say rarely done. We cannot think as Christians, okay, I've owned my character flaws before God, therefore don't need to own it before those in my life whose it's actually impacted really negatively. Y'all, that's taking the easy way out. And if Rocky IV taught you anything, <laughs> there is no easy way out, right? Especially when it comes to repentance. This is why John the Baptist, when he baptized people into repentance, his instructions were not symbolic instructions. Did you? I don't know if you were paying attention after worship. His instructions were not symbolic. They were evidence of repentance. You know what his instructions were? Share your clothes with those who have none. Share your food. What a, that's relational stuff. That's not some internal, isolated, spiritual nonsense. He says, you want to repent? Don't extort money. Don't lie. Don't cheat others. That's evidence of repentance. It's relational. It's not just internal. It's crucial you see that repentance, as a re you see it as a relational dynamic, not simply about personal holiness. We repent to be put back to right in the relationship with someone. We want to do right by them. That's repentance, whether it's with God or with others, right? So here's the thing. If the goal of repentance is relational, if it's relational harmony, if that's the goal, well, that complicates it, doesn't it? Because there's two parties involved now. What if the other party doesn't want relational harmony? What if they aren't ready to forgive? How does the relational aspect inform how you think about repentance? It means that all you can do when you repent in relationships 
is think about your thinking. It's owning your part of it. It's acknowledging your contribution to their pain. And we do it knowing it's only half the solution. If the relationship's going to be restored, the other party has things to do. Can we make them forgive? Nope. Can we make them want to restore the relationship? No, you cannot. You might repent before someone, and they may say, okay, but I'm not ready. You know what true repentance says? Okay. True repentance says, I've hurt you. I know you're not ready. I just want to think, make things right on my end, and I'll do whatever it takes, and you can take as long as you want. Because the goal is relational harmony, and you cannot make someone sing with you. I've tried. <laughs> Try to make my wife sing with me all the time. Doesn't work, right? Plus, I can't see on, sing on key, so. See, love is never forced, is it? You force someone to love you, you think it's going to work out? Forgiveness is never forced, is it? Can it be forced? No. Why is this important? You cannot force someone to forgive you. You cannot force someone to be in harmony with you. All you can do is say, I've done wrong by you. And I want to make it right. And at your discretion and on your timeline, let's restore this thing. Because I'm in it to win it. Right? Many people think repentance, this is an important distinction. Many people think repentance is the same thing as penance. You know what penance is? Penance is voluntary self-inflicted punishment. Penance is groveling a little lower. It's whipping yourself. It's throwing a week-long pity party of isolation and self-loathing. It's hating yourself. That's penance. And it is not repentance. You know what that is? That's manipulation. That's manipulation. You're trying to force them to forgive you. You're trying to earn it. And it's manipulative. And you need to repent. <laughs> and we all do it from time to time. Because we've all been fools from time to time, haven't we? As someone said, humility, or in this case, repentance, is not thinking less of yourself but it is thinking of yourself less. So in other words, it's not, it's not this, I'm worthless, whoa, I'm so dirty, I ruined it. That's not repentance, that's guilting people. Dude, that's magnifying your pain. That's what you do when you throw pity parties and you walk around and woe is me. You're magnifying your pain because you're trying to manipulate others to prove that you're worth forgiving. You can't do it. You know what repentance does? Stay with me. I know this is sharp, and I'm trying to help you today. I'm trying to help your marriage right now, dude. I'm trying to help your relationships right now. All right? You know what repentance does? Repentance magnifies their pain. Penance magnifies your pain. Penance says, I'm the one who's suffering, and I'm going to show it. Well, thanks for noticing me. Repentance magnifies their pain. And it says, I've cost you already, and I need to own it before you. Repentance says, I've hurt you. You have been wounded. You have been offended. And I'm not going to explain it away. I'm not going to justify it. If you try to do that, you're manipulating. Repentance, y'all, is not paying for your sin. It's acknowledging that your sin has already cost someone something. 
I need to say that again. Repentance is not paying for your sin. It's acknowledging that your sin has already cost someone something. You're tracking? You're saying, my sin has hurt you, and you can forgive at your discretion. Repentance is also not explaining away and blame shifting. I'm sure you've never given one of these pathetic, selfish apologies like I have. Well, I'm sorry you took things the wrong way. I'm sure you've never done that. Well, forgive me for being honest, right? I'm sorry, but if you wouldn't, I'm sorry, but if you only understood the pressure I'm under, I'm sorry I was hangry. I'm sorry I didn't eat lunch and I snapped at you. You're not trying to restore the relationship, son. You're trying to prove you're not wrong. You're not trying to restore the relationship. You're trying to show, you're rationalizing. You're justifying. What you're doing is you're saying, I had a perfectly good reason to be a jerk. So deal with it. Isn't this tempting? I know none of you good Christian people are tempted to do this. This is very difficult for me. It's very difficult for me to be 100% exposed and vulnerable with my wife. You know this whole naked and unashamed thing in the garden? You think it's talking about just physical? You know how dangerous vulnerability is? Anybody? You know how dangerous vulnerability is? And it's why we can't just say, I've messed up. We can't. It's too dangerous. You're too vulnerable. So we protect ourselves. And we say, well, I did this, but it's you. And, and boo, 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 right? You're not being vulnerable. You're not naked and unashamed. You're not in the garden. You're putting up hedges of protection between you and those in your life. And this is so tempting, y'all. We writhe under the weight of our own brokenness. We can't stand to, to be at fault in any way. We can't just repent. We have to blame shift. We have to rationalize. So our, our repentance before others sounds like, I'm sorry that you. It's not repentance. True repentance is no excuses, no defenses. I've done wrong by you. Complete exposure. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever I have to do at your time, at your discretion. That's the vulnerability of repentance. And that's why we don't do it very often. It's owning your part. It's magnifying how you have hurt them without an excuse. It's saying, you know what it's doing? What true repentance is? You know how you got a little voice inside you that wants to justify everything you do? Not you. I do. You know, you know what true repentance says to that voice? No, it was me. It was not my circumstance. It was not them. It's not their fault. I did this. I said this. It is a reflection of me, not your circumstance. Listen, look at me. Your circumstance may stink. I won't take that away from you, but you can't repent from your circumstance, can you? You can only repent how you, to how you've responded to your circumstances. True repentance is saying, my sin has hurt you, and I know I don't deserve it, but I'm asking for mercy. That can only be given on your terms when you are ready. For now, I'm owning my part. And if you will learn this kind of exposed vulnerability in relationships, your relationships will begin to sing. They'll begin to sing. Naked and unashamed, back to the garden. No obstacles in between. Complete vulnerability. You're hearing me. If you can learn this kind of 
let the defenses down. I'm wrong. I've wronged you. Your relationship, it's, it feels like weakness. Look at me. It's strength. It's strength. You think weak people can repent? No, they can't because they're too terrified of vulnerability. Only strong people can repent. It's not weakness, brother. It's not weakness. When you begin to rationalize and defend and justify, that, in my opinion, is weakness because you can't handle the idea that you've, you're wrong. You, uh, hello? I'm having church up here. I'm just preaching to myself, I guess. I'm up here having a hallelujah party because I was just told the way for my relationships to sing. And most of us will walk by it because we can't handle the vulnerability. We can't handle it. It's too much. If you think it's weakness, right? Listen, Tim Keller says repenting is the opposite of weakness. But you know why? Because it takes away the victim mentality. You know what the victim mentality says? I'm not in control. It's other forces. Other things made me do this. It's my headache. It's my situation. Therefore, victims can never be held responsible. Their self-designated identity of victim excuses them. You understand? Victims, therefore, will never repent because it's not their fault. Conversely, it takes remarkable strength to say, it is my fault. Repentance is taking the reins back of your life. It's saying, yes, there's junk out there. Yes, there's circumstances that are horrible, but I am in control of me, and therefore I will take responsibility for me. Repentance is throwing out the victim mentality and taking back the reins of your life. Does that make sense to you? Only when we repent are we taking full responsibility, which takes great strength and personal security to do, right? And what's obvious, probably for you by now and for me, is that the need for repentance in any relationship will be ongoing. Until you reach perfection, you will always need to repent. Any long-term relationship will be a repeating pattern of the gospel. Sin, alienation, repentance, forgiveness, intimacy. Sin, alienation, repentance, forgiveness, intimacy. If you get out of that pattern, the relationship's dead. If that pattern locks out, if the gears rust and one can't repent, if the gears rust and one can't forgive, the relationship's over. It's done. You're dead in the water, right? If you can't echo the, the pattern of the gospel in your relationships, they will not last. You won't repent. When someone hurts you, you're out. You bail. The Holy Spirit isn't anointing the gears so that they can work together, you see? And so someone points out your flaw, see you later, right? Not going to own that. Dude, what do, you, what do you think being full of the Spirit looks like? <laughs> there's, a, there's a definition for you. Owning your junk and letting the gospel grace you so you can do that, so you can have that kind of responsibility. Um, Mark Rutland says marriage is one long... I'm studying for a marriage series that we're about to do, so I have a lot of... Mark Rutland said, yeah, get ready if you think this is uncomfortable. Um, marriage is one long apology interrupted by kissing every now and again. <laughs> He's right. He's right. And if you stop being able to repent before the other, it's over. Only when we can freely repent will our relationships begin to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And if that's true with other imperfect people, you know it's true between you and a holy God. There will never be a time when thinking about your thinking isn't required for you to maintain your relationship with God. Never. 
Martin Luther says all of life is repentance. What's that mean? It means that because of the deep embedded alienation from God that sin has brought into the earth, we will always have to be realigning our thoughts, our attitudes, our behaviors in order to be in harmony with him. Because the whole world, including us and parts of our hearts, have wounded the heart of God. And we are out of harmony with God. And if you think wounded is the wrong word, how can I wound God? I'm just a little boy. You, you can wound him because he loves you, dude. You can't wound someone if they don't love you. Huh? You, you can wound the heart of God because he has made himself vulnerable to you. He loves you. It's why God chooses adultery as one of the main images in the Old Testament about his people sinning. That kind of wound, that kind of betrayal can only happen in deep love. You can wound the heart of God because he loves you. So if you're here today and you think, I got nothing to repent of, do you know what you just said? Do you know what that means? It means that you think you see the world exactly as God sees it. It means that you think you're just as smart and wise and perceptive as God himself. What was Job's sin? The whole point of the book is he hadn't. And yet, what does he do when he meets God? Repents in dust and ashes, right? Repentance is not an emotional display. It is not paying for your sins. It is not explaining and justifying your flaws. It takes great strength to do it, and it's not once and done. Welcome to the Christian life. <laughs> I should so. Yes, that was the wrong thing to say, I think, maybe. You guys are like, yeah, actually, I'm out, you know. Um, let me end with this, okay? One pastor said the hardest three words in the universe is I have sinned. I have sinned. Why? Our difficulty with, with repentance is for many people, there is no difference. Stay with me. We're going to be done, right? There is no difference between their value as a person and their performance. This is why people can't repent. Because they do not see a difference between their value as a person and their performance in any role. Okay? So, I am as valuable as I am good at my job. I am as valuable as I'm good at being a mom. And if I fail at being a mom, I am not valuable anymore. <clears throat> you see? There's no difference in between their performance in any role and their value as a person. You know what that's called? It's a performance mentality, and it makes you anxious and tense, and it takes away your levity and humor. You can't laugh at yourself anymore because your value is no laughing matter, right? And if we are only as valuable as our performance, we would sooner cut off our hand than admit we've messed up. When we live under a performance mentality, we repress what's wrong with us. And repentance, like we've described it, full vulnerability, complete exposure, is not fathomable, you see? Because your value is only good as your performance. And so you can't let the cat out of the bag that you're not valuable. Because you're talking to your performance. And if you're in that camp, if that's you, I can tell you without any hesitation what your problem is. Your problem is not that you have a performance mentality. Your problem is that you do not understand the gospel. Listen to me. I'm trying to help you today. If you can never own your sin before others, if you can never be exposed and revealed as being in the wrong without justifying and excusing, if, if you writhe and panic at the thought of admitting failure, you'd sooner die than admit that you're wrong. It's abundantly clear you do not understand the gospel. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care if you can preach sermons, right? If you can't do this, you don't understand the gospel. It's abundantly clear because the gospel says outside of your performance, even outside of your repentance, you are deeply loved by God. 
God has accepted you, son, daughter. He has already accepted you, already removed the obstructions on his side in Christ. He removed the wall of hostility. According to Colossians 2.14, he nailed it to the cross. It's been, your performance has been dealt with. And yes, it wasn't good enough. <laughs> That's the good news of the gospel. How's that good news? Because you don't have to perform anymore. It's no longer on you. You can be the first one to say, man, I've screwed up. You're free. You don't have to go around pretending you're perfect anymore. Does that not sound like good news to you? You don't have to parade at church. I'm fine, fine, fine. Everything's fine. We're fine. We're, we're just fine. Work's fine. Got fired. About to get divorced. Fine. Everything's fine, right? You can punt that junk out of here. Who wants to live like that, right? You can be a real person again. You can have real relationships again. Only the gospel does that, bro. You can't do that on your performance. If it's all resting on how good you are, we're just fighting with one another all the time. I'm better than you, dude. I can do that better than you. Gospel sets you free from that, man. Repentance, y'all. God has already removed the obstructions on his side. Repentance is removing it on your side. And oftentimes, it's very mental. It's the shadow of the obstacle that's still up in our own minds that God's already removed in Christ, right? It's acknowledging you're part of the mess, which according to the Jesus, until you do it, you've not started your walk with God. Repentance, y'all, is yielding to the power of the gospel. It's saying that the grace of God is stronger than my sin, right? It's owning what you've made of yourself and coming to God stripped bare. It's handing yourself fully vulnerable, fully exposed over to God without excuse and without justification with the heart cry, will you have mercy? Which, by the way, Jesus knew you'd have to do over and over. So when he taught you to pray, what did he say? Every day, pray this, forgive us our sins. He knew we'd have to do it over and over, guys. He's not expecting for us to be perfect at the gate. He knew you're going to have to do this over and over again. And let me give you the Holy Spirit to grease the gears, right? We don't often repent because we don't believe he loves us. And it really is that simple. So we do penance to earn forgiveness. That way we don't have to be really vulnerable with God, right? But this is what we don't get about God's love. His love is in full view of your imperfections and sins. He doesn't love you ignoring your flaws. He loves you in spite of them. And when you see God's love over your life, when you feel his acceptance, when you know you don't deserve it, when his love becomes real to you, dude, repentance becomes very easy because you long for that relationship to be restored. Therefore, Tim Keller says this. We're going to wrap it up. I know I went long today. Thanks for your patience. Tim Keller says this. When a Christian sees his sin and begins to repent, he feels closer to God. When a Pharisee sees his sin and begins to repent, he feels further from God. Because the Pharisee has founded his acceptance on his works, on his performance. And the Christian has founded his acceptance on the love of God. Legalists repent out of fear and anxiety. The Christian repents out of gratitude for what Christ has already done and desiring to be pleasing to God, right? But we need not think we have no help when it comes to repenting. In Jesus, God himself became vulnerable. The scripture's clear. He was stripped naked on the cross. Jesus leads the way back to the garden, completely exposed, with no protection, completely humiliated for us on our behalf. He was ashamed so that we could be naked and unashamed. He endured wrath 
so we could be vulnerable and experience God's love. And if you're hearing my voice right now and have never repented before God or are struggling with this whole thing, let me just read this to you, then we'll get out of here. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. And as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest, uh, therefore, lest any of you uh, be an evil and unbelieving, have an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Consider yourself exhorted, friend. Don't allow your heart to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin in relationship. The deceitfulness of sin in our walk with God, in our walk with others. Let me pray for us.